Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. I finally have the all-American Baldwin's finest Chris Weidman on the podcast kicking and screaming we got you here we did it how do you feel is it everything you hope for or more I I'm just so pumped I didn't know if I was gonna get to see your face on this or if I was gonna (laughs) have to be just on a telephone call so to be able to see your good-looking mug all the way from across the country it's a pleasure I try I try Baldwin native you know, yeah. once you go, once you go bald, when you should never come, you know, you, you should never really leave, you know, sure. because we both left. Tough. No, I'm still here. I'm still here in Baldwin. This right, doesn't fair. look like Baldwin to you right now. <laughs> in spirit, in spirit. So I want to start off with something very important that I'm sure out of everything, everybody wants to know about you. It probably all starts here. So mm-hmm. I want you to really paint this picture. All right. So July 6th, oh, wow. 2013. You want to start off, you want to hump my leg to start this interview off. Now, Good. MGM Grand Garden Arena. All right. So amazing night. People want to know. So talk us through how this felt. So you're uh, fighting for the title. You, you win the title. A guy steals your hat. Take it from there. Did a guy steal my hat? That's how excited I was. You stole my hat. I got your hat back. You're already forgetting. Bro, are you kidding me? I get punched in the head for a living. Man, like, some guy stole your hat when you were walking back, and I got it back. And your oh, dad, you like you, you went nuts on the guy, right? Your dad changes the story every time, and he gets like bigger and bigger. There's like more guys there, and they were bigger and bigger. But uh, yeah, I did something because you, you said you, you stood up for it. Yeah, I got. Of course, you I did. got the oh, hat you're back. My, you're my boy. I, yeah, I do. I do recall this story, and I good appreciate save. it, bro. I good save. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were good. I thought you really, that was a curveball there. You got me I all did. thinking about, all right, what was it like to walk out that night? Or like, what was it like to get your hand raised? No, <laughs> someone stole my hat. Yes, it kind of threw me off for a second. I agree. I did. Um, I had that all planned out. I appreciate that, bro. Yeah, you've been a very supportive dude from the beginning to the end. Did you, did you go to any of my uh, ring of combat fights? Yeah. Yeah, so my ring of combat fights. Yeah, I appreciate that. Was it that first one with the, that tremendous suplex in Kimura? Yeah. Um, yeah, belly-to-belly belly suplex. Yeah, so my first fight ever, my, it was on, you know, I, I pretty much was training for like five, six months uh, of like stand-up and, and jiu-jitsu and all that. And they, my opponent got switched like six times. It's crazy because at the time, I, I just really was known for my – my wrestling, you know, and I did one jujitsu tournament that I happened to win and submit everybody. But <laughs> I, I fought on that same tournament. I remember you were monster walking through and like later he was like, Well, I've been just submitted everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I won a thousand dollars. First time ever making money in my life. You know, nice. coming from a wrestling background, I've never made money. And then I go do this jujitsu tournament, I submit everybody and I get a thousand dollars. So that kind of helped me kind of fall in love. Yeah, so I went through like six opponents before I finally got the guy I was going to be fighting, I ended up finding a guy named Rubens Lopez. But the funny thing is that I had no MMA experience at all other than wrestling. And 
they had this guy uh, forgetting his name. They, the guy he was six and zero at a, he was six and zero as, as as an amateur and won like this amateur championship, like you know one of these promotions in Jersey. And so they had me set up with him, and he looked pretty good. Um, and damn it, I'm trying to remember his name. And so I was set with him, and then all of a sudden the commission came back and said they thought it would be unfair that I would fight a guy with. At, at like at his, at his level for him i'm like the guy lago went nuts it was a big issue because the guy had six amateur fights i had no fights at all nothing and they they wouldn't let this guy fight me because I, it was too dangerous for him i'm like <laughs> i mean i'm a wrestler what are you what are you scared of him i have to take I take you down and ground the pound but the, there was no elbows on the floor in ring combat you know he didn't know anything about me he ended up being really good he, he was on the ultimate fighter show and he was in the ufc for a little bit uh, tough, tough Jersey kid, and it would have been a good fight. It would have been a more exciting fight, probably than uh, my first fight that I had. But it was a good growing fight for me. So yeah, for Rubens Lopez, he took the fight on a week's notice, and uh, he was a black belt in jujitsu, had a school in Jersey, and I just we met in the center. I threw a right hand, and we in a, we ended up in a clinch and hit him with the belly to belly suplex that my son keeps telling me he wants to see <laughs> me hit in my next UFC fight. Um, <laughs> And uh, I comored him. Nice, man. That was the beginning. That started the legend. The legend oh, of Chris yeah. Weidman. Oh, legend. I remember I was, uh, I think I was fighting on an amateur car, like right around then. And you were getting right. You were, because I was, I was training in Big Jim, I think was sparring with you, because I was oh, fighting on the car. Jim. Big Jim was up. Yeah, and I was like, oh, what's going on? And you had just started to come down. And uh, I asked Longo, I was like, is Chris going to fight on the car? And he was like, oh, I can't put him in the amateurs. He's like, that wouldn't be fair. And like, I didn't even realize like the level you were at. Cause I always knew you was just like, I knew you were like Charlie's tough little brother, but I didn't realize like how good you were wrestling and all that. And then I think you came into Sarah's one day and like you arm barred me your first day in there. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how did I even? and then uh big Jim yeah. was like, dude, I spar with Chris Wyman every day. And then I basically drive home crying. I was like, Oh wow. I guess he's doing pretty good. And then, uh, oh, it all funny. took off from there, man. Yeah. Whitaker's podcast there. One of the his his co-host, um, he spoke to Volante, and Volante mentioned that I had a brother that was like a good football player, and then we got into a whole segment on Charlie and asked me what I was like basically in high school. I was like, you probably would have known me as Charlie's little brother, and I had to explain that, you know, <laughs> um, how basically how crazy my brother was and nut job and whatever, all that. Uh, big, tough, strong, athletic. I was just kind of like in the shadows. Yeah, I heard uh, Brian Hagstrand would always be like, Mr. Wyman would always beat the crap out of my dad, and then Charlie would always beat the crap out of me, and then Megan would be like, and I would always get the crap out of Chris. <laughs> I don't know about Megan being my ass, but not, uh, I can tell you I know uh, Brian would kick my ass. Get out of here. Uh, are you kidding me? going to love. Oh, no, Charlie would, make, just... Charlie would make him fight me, and I would get my ass beat. Um, but I remember one time he beat my ass, and like punching and everything. I was fucking hurting. I get back up and I found um, a big brick in my backyard, like a big stone. And I grabbed that and I fucking chucked at him. It went right into like his knee and he went down. Like it almost like broke his leg in half, like his knee like buckled uh, and he fell down. <laughs> and then I think he might've been <laughs> crying a little bit, but um, yeah, Charlie used to make me fight up with his friends. I remember fighting Greg Sarney. 
he just made me fight. Remember that guy, Greg Sarney? Yeah, yeah. He was a crazy little dude. Uh, I mean, everyone was bigger than me at that time because I was three, four years younger. But um, yeah, I just would get my ass beat all the time, but I never gave up. And I would like, I'd do anything it took to, to hang on in there. But I knew you were always good at taking beatings when you were a kid. So I was like, now that he knows how to actually give a beating too, he's going to be a problem. And sure enough, you were. Well, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, that was kind of my, that, uh, it's funny. A lot of, the reason why I even fought, like even started fighting was a lot of, a lot because of like where I came from, my background, uh, taking the abuse I had over the years and people recognizing that. I remember seeing Tom Casal, another guy from Baldwin, uh, athlete. Uh, I remember seeing him at, Broncos. And this is when I was finishing up college. I was doing well in wrestling and, um, and MMA just kind of really started getting like kind of taken off. I think this is right around the time of Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner and, you know, the ultimate fighter finale. And then kind of really started blowing up. And I remember being out, out at the bar and Casal coming up to me, he was like, bro, you know, every time I see these UFC guys, I just think that you like, like I always think Chris Wyman would be freaking awesome at that. We get wrestling and you, the fact that you grew up with Charlie, like, I just feel like you, it's tailor-made for you. And honestly, that was something that stuck in my head. Like, I, I think you might be right. Like I have this, I was beat down. I'm scarred a lot from everything I've been through, but I think it, there's probably a blessing at the end of that. And yeah, I just used that and it worked. You know, I used that motivation. So I think you had mentioned a few times that there was a shift to like you, uh, I think you were saying like for a while you, you weren't really taking your training as seriously. And then something happened one day that you just made a conscious decision to say, that's it. I'm just not gonna, like, I'm going to be the first one on the mats, the last one on the mats. And like, and like, what was the thing in there? Cause I guess, you know, you've always been tough, but if you always had like a really great worth ethic like that and that championship mentality, or did that, was there something that changed that? Um, I think, I think I was always a gamer. Like I love to compete, uh, but I wasn't really putting the work in. I was like, not, not the work in that. I didn't realize what hard, like true hard work was, you know, I'm going to say like, I always, I did, I did pride myself in being a hard worker, even when I really wasn't because I feel like my dad worked so hard and what he did for a living that like, he really instilled that in us. Like, I, like, I don't give a shit what you guys do in your life, but you better just work hard in everything you do. And that always stuck with me. So when I was wrestling or doing football, I, I wanted to be a hard worker, but um, I didn't really understand like what that meant. I went, I went hard at the times I wanted to go hard. You know, I, I went hard when it was time to play the game, but when it came to practice and stuff like that uh, in all my sports, um, but wrestling obviously is the thing that I really got, like more into than any of the other uh, than any of the other ones, but I I would just kind of be in the back of the room laughing, tickling, or you know messing around, like fucking trying to slap box people, just you know challenging people to like you know basically take down tournaments in the middle of practice when I'm supposed to be drilling moves. I wasn't into like, drilling. My attention span sucks. I like to compete. <laughs> and so drilling always was something that was hard for me to do. I wasn't putting in extra drills and doing extra sessions. And I, I seen the effects on me all the way through college. You know, I, I became a uh, four-time college All-American in high school. I was multiple-time All-American and state champion. And, uh, but there was a lot of guys that were being more successful than me. Some, some of the guys that became a national champion. And I'm like, what, you know, I could see the difference, you know, they were, they were coming in during the day and getting drills in and, you know, they were just doing the extra stuff and they weren't necessarily, 
necessarily more talented than me at all, uh, but they just like had a better work ethic and uh, they were more prepared. And so, and kind of like I got the, I kind of had the, um, the label on me that I was like super talented. I could beat anybody on any given day. You never know which wide is going to show up. Um, but I could also lose to anybody. And so I kind of, when I got into MMA, um, when I decided to do it, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, this is my last chance. You know, I, at that point I was like 25 years old and I'm like, this is my last chance of being able to com- compete in something as an athlete really, um, uh, before I'm too old and I'm done doing any athletics. And I felt like I had a lot of unreached potential. And so I just wanted to kind of use what I learned from watching these other guys throughout the years and become that. And so when I, when I did MMA and when I went to Matt Serra's jujitsu, I didn't want to be known as that talented kid that is good, really good, but not no, I, like not really working that hard. So I just changed that about myself. I just made everybody believe that I was this crazy, hardworking, blue-collar kid and not that talented. And I just worked with that. And before you know it, everything was working out. I kept winning and winning and winning. And I wasn't mentally in my head as much. Yeah. So that's I, fake, of- I basically faked it till I made it. But that's everything, I, right? I kind of I did. Like I had a I – I, I was in a new environment where people didn't have this label on me. You know, I wasn't in the wrestling room. Now I was in a jujitsu gym. And uh, I just wanted the people to think this guy's a fucking crazy hard worker. And he's so damn tough and like a strong mentality uh, more than any of my physical attributes. Well, it definitely worked, man. I think it's cool that you can rewrite your own story at any time. I mean, that's you did it once with that and then you started doing it with the real estate. I mean, you can pretty much. It's a good lesson. You know, people think that they can't do that, but you can recreate that at any time. Yeah. I wouldn't say I've done it with the real estate yet. Um, started. You started. I've, I've, I've dabbled, but when I decide I'm, I'm kind of the guy, I'm kind of like an Olin type of person. It's hard for me to do all these different things full heartedly and like be super motivated and passionate about it. Um, but when I decide to get fully into real estate, I'm going to go super hard and I'll be, I'll try to become the best that, you know, that this world has ever seen in it. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's like one of my, uh, one of the quotes we always say is how you do the small stuff is how you do the big stuff or, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I've, I've used you as examples a lot of real estate classes because I always talk about how no matter what anybody's doing, if they're starting off new, there's always a level of, of doubt and insecurity and a level of risk and, you know, people in your ear saying different stuff. But at some point you have to take that leap and you just have to get over it and do it anyway. If you want to accomplish big things, if you want to be comfortable, you sit there and you listen to people and you never make any moves. And I feel like a lot of the things now where people might say, Oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. If you didn't take those risks when you first started, it probably wouldn't have gone where it was like, what was it? I think Alessio Sicara was like the first fight, right? And it was a short notice thing and it kind of got your foot in the door. I know there was like offers and things flying around and I think it would be the same thing with real estate, man. But I, I told everybody like when I, I give that example of like, yeah, at some point, do I think people are saying, hey, don't take that fight on short notice because they, they, they want us to be good? Yeah, for sure. But at the other side of it, it's like, if you want to get somewhere, it's, it's when. When do you take that, take you that leap? Just, yeah, you just got to go. I always, I always, I knew, I knew the goal was to become world champion. And you can lose to anybody. So why not try to fight the best possible guy every single time to try to get yourself up that ladder as fast as possible to eventually get your goal. And so I wasn't looking to take my time. 
I was like, let's fucking go. Give me the best. And that meant taking very short notice fights against very good guys because otherwise I wouldn't have the opportunity to, to do it. I could have very well have lost, but the mindset was that nobody's fucking beating me. And I don't care how injured I am or how much time I had to prepare. Um, he's not he's not beating me. And yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in regrets too. And I feel like the regret of not really? taking that shot and looking back, like the night goes by and you're like, you know, somebody beats that guy. You're like, well, I could have been me beating Anderson Silva. Like, you'll never have to do that. And to me, that's yeah. Why and, and, and even now, looking back, you know, I've had some losses. Now I'm not on the best streak right now. I, you know, I went from being undefeated world champion, defending my belt multiple times, to losing a bunch of fights. And um, I, I really don't have any regrets, though. Um, you know, because I, I always, I put it on the line every damn time. I went forward and I went for it. And um, I have not made the smartest decisions. I've made technical mistakes, but I don't have regrets. I don't look back and say, oh, man, I, you know, I wish I would have done that different. Everything would have changed. It's all good. It's part of the game. You live on it and you just keep moving forward and uh, you keep working hard. So, yeah, I really don't have any regrets because hindsight's always twenty twenty. I could look yeah. back on some of my losses and be like, oh, that's what I should have done. That's good. You learn from it, but I'm not looking back and regretting them the mistakes I've made because you learn from your losses. Yeah. I mean that, that old quote at the end of your life, you're not going to regret the things you did. You're going to regret the things you didn't. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, you know, and, uh, yeah, man, you're, you're still young uh, on the climb, you know, and, uh, you put it online every day. And I, I love the, I think I asked you about this, but one of the things I really wanted to, to pick your brain on, especially now, like all those, those few losses there were like razor thin. You were winning all those fights. You were right in them. But you know you went in there, you know you prepared, you know you did your best. And at the end of the day, you know, you have your family, you have your gym, you got all those things. And, and I look at people that comment online and it's like, oh, wait, how many fights does that person have? None. Like they've actually never even gotten off the couch. They never they wipe out. Like they've never tried anything and failed in their life. They never had the balls to, to even go after anything. So, and I asked you a couple of times, like, how do you deal with that? That you'll, you'll put a picture up and be like, here's my dog. Here's my kid. Here's a beautiful sunset. And people will be like, you suck. I hope you die. And it's like, <laughs> how do you not keep that? Because even on the real estate stuff, like I post things because it's like, you have to put your business out there and it'll be something completely irrelevant. And there'll always be somebody who messages me something nasty or comments something shitty or tells me what a moron I am. And I'm like, I know it doesn't actually have to do anything with me, but now it, like, it ruined my day, even though I know it shouldn't. And you deal with that times 100,000. So how do you focus on giving more attention to all the support? Because you get a lot more support than you do negativity. You definitely do. You know, there's tons of people on there to like you. They, your, your character among everybody I talk to is that you're like a great guy, hardworking guy, you know, just a good dude. So how do you so, let fire? And I mean, the, the trolls come out hard on, on social media, you know, and so they got more time to spend than the good people, I think, you know, to, to come out and say negative things about you. Um, so it feels like I feel like I see that a lot, but I don't know. We're all human. So, you know, I think as soon as you start paying any attention to the compliments and the nice things and you're gonna pay attention to the insults just as much so <laughs> i've got to the point where i'm pretty calloused i do fall back into reading comments here and there and i get excited when i see something nice from somebody and then all of a sudden it's like i get a fucking knife through the heart when all of a sudden <laughs> that negative comments right there you know i'll peek down a little bit oh those are th no look at those three nice comments oh that's fucking nice let me go down a little bit more and it's like oh 
motherfucker. <laughs> and then, you know, then you're fighting yourself not to attack them back. And, you know, you happen to click on their freaking profile and you see what they look like and what they're doing with their <laughs> life. And I'm like, I can rip this guy apart right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm the type of person, I'm a fighter, man. Like I, I just grew up like, if I'm going to say something to you, I'm going to say it to your face. And if I'm going to say all these terrible things to you, I expect you're going to slap me in the mouth and we're fighting. I feel like what social media has done, it's like, there's no repercussions at all for what you say. You can say anything you want to anybody you want and the, you don't have to deal with any consequences. And it's kind of a shitty thing. And I feel like the world is heading that direction and just in real life, not even on social media where, you know, people feel like they could just say anything they want. They, they, they're, they're confused on why you'd be upset and like want to smack them in their mouth. I, I don't think there's any easy way to deal with it. I could tell you, don't look at your comments, um, but you're eventually going to do it. And then you're going to see negative shit and not you in particular, but like anybody in the limelight, I mean, shit, the, the more you grow, the more sh haters you're going to have, you know, people, people are always happy for you until you're better than doing better than them. And as soon as you're doing better than them, they fucking want to rip you down then they're not comfortable with it anymore. And then, and then it goes to, Oh wow, that guy really changed. Or have you changed? You know, have you changed around that successful person? Because it makes you feel awkward because you feel insecure. And I've noticed that a lot, man. Even when I first started doing good, man, it's like, if you know, even before I was world champion, I was in the UFC. I, you know, all of a sudden my bank account hits like a hundred thousand. I think I'm rich. Everyone around me thinks I'm rich. And <laughs> And all of a sudden, it's like my the people around me started changing. It wasn't that I was changing. I felt like I was the same exact guy. The people around me started changing. You know, they they kind of want to they like how can they have what I have? You know, uh, you know, like who's paying for this? Who's paying for that? Like it gets fucking awkward, and you could feel that out. You know, you see that, and it it just changes the relationship. And I feel like that's why a lot of people are like you know. Jay-Z has changed or whatever. Like, I, I feel like it, some of them might have definitely changed. But I think for the most part, like people who become successful, it's the people around them that change. And then they go around telling people that the person who's successful changed. But in all reality, I think it was them that got awkward and insecure and it just changed the relationship. When I became a world champion, it went to another level. Like how many people have conquered their most important goal in their life? You know, like I set out, I did everything I possibly can to become world champion. It's very hard to do. Very few people do it. All of a sudden I do it. It's like, who else has been done this? Who else can I talk to without them feeling weird about it? You know what I mean? Like, and are they truly happy or, you know, so it does, it does like get weird like that too. In the beginning, you know, especially in the beginning. The people that are truly your friends that want to see you do well are going to be happy that you're doing well. And the people that have their own shit, because now they have to face, you did something great. And I'm sitting here making excuses why I can't go after my goals and people don't like that. But I think what's really cool about what you have going on and like the guys around us, like I, you know, I've said for years, I think one of the best decisions I've made in the last 15 years was going to Matt Serra's and Ray Longo's now Longo and Weidman's gym. Um, they've just been, uh, you know, the people around there, like I, I got my brother a membership there and his whole life has changed. Like he's got better friends, a better attitude. And one of the things he said that I thought was really cool is he said, you know, I wish my music friends celebrated each other's victories as much as my jujitsu friends do. And I was like, there's, there's definitely more of that atmosphere. And I see more than ever now with like all the law guys how everybody always makes those trip to Jersey. And you actually have a guy like Matt that has won a title that can talk to you about it. And, you know, like you have somebody that can relate to all that stuff. So I think it's really cool that you have that, 
those people around you, they can relate to some of the things that you're going through and have already been through that a little bit. But I did see a difference that when you were fighting, I didn't hear, maybe it's the size thing, but I remember when Matt was fighting St. Pierre and people were coming up to me going, oh, your buddy Matt Sarah is going to get killed. And people on the street would think that they had a shot of like beating him up. And I'd be like, you're nuts. Whereas with you, maybe it's just because like at, on first sight, you're bigger or people from Baldwin knew that if they actually talk shit to you on the street, they probably want to get in a fight. But it did get a little bit more local support right off the bat than Matt did when he was coming through, which is, you know, nice. But I think it's really cool that you have those guys. How did you wind up linking up with Matt and Ray and picking them and making those relationships? Because there's a lot of gyms and a lot of guys on Long Island. And I'm sure with the wrestling, you've trained with tons of different guys from different places. Well, first, let me just touch on like being appreciative of my gym and Matt's gym and all the people in it because I feel like just martial arts and jujitsu wrestling, like it, you can't lie about who you are as a person when you hit those mats. So you get humbled in such a way you, you know, if you, you if you're on the street and you're talking about how, how good you are, you could lie to anybody, you know, you could look big and strong and you could tell people how tough you are and they're going to probably believe you if they don't know what they're doing or talking about. Um, but in the gym, it really is a place to find out who you are. You know, you, you hit those mats you're going to fucking get manhandled. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get submitted. And once you like, you could really just feel what kind of person somebody is by rolling with them. You could feel their insecurities. You could feel if they're super secure and confident and they're okay. Like with learning and not, it's not an ego battle. You could feel there. You could, you could find so much out, bro. It's crazy from the lowest of levels to the highest of levels. doesn't even matter. And and that's the beauty of, of martial arts is that you, there's no lying on the mat and they appreciate the level I got to because they, they, they're doing it. You know, they get, they, they, they see how there's different levels and how hard you have to work every single day to get to where, you know, Matt and I got to. And so you get, you get a lot of respect, uh, in, in that realm. And, and that's obviously awesome because we put a lot of time and work in it and there's a lot of terrible consequences that could possibly happen in each one of our fights. And so anybody that is training, I have so much respect for, uh, because it's a scary, lonely place to, to get inside that octagon or get it, you know, to have a jujitsu match or a wrestling match, anything one-on-one where you could possibly get embarrassed. Like I, I just have so much respect for anybody. So there's a, there's a camaraderie there that is, uh, is, is amazing. And, um, the, the way I got to Ray and Matt was kind of just in my mind, just default. Um, I had not, no, I got for a long, ter- uh, long period of time. I really had no interest in fighting MMA. I was just wrestling. I wanted to win the Olympics and that was, that was my goal. Um, and I remember a great Gabriel Terribio coming into the, the monster coming monster. in. Yeah. Monster. <laughs> he came into the gym into the hostel wrestling room and he was, he wanted to learn how to wrestle. And so, and he was in my Spanish class in, <laughs> in my, uh, he was in my Spanish class at Hofstra. And so he wanted to come to Hofstra. I made it happen. And he came to the room and we, we start, I started trying to teach him wrestle and he wanted to show me jujitsu. And I really had no interest. Um, I was like, hey, I'm good, man. I'm just training wrestling. I'm good. Um, but he was like the first professional fighter I was I, I, like I, I met, and I, I was I was intrigued. I'm like, this guy could probably kill me. Like, you know, he's a professional fighter. Um, and and then I met Drago. Drago came down. He was wrestling with John Massa, another Hasha wrestler, and he Massa was helping out Drago with his wrestling Pete Cell. And 
at the end of one of our practices, wrestling practices, Drago was drilling with Masa and he had just came in and I was about to leave. And I was like, you know, meeting Drago and, uh, remember almost kind of being a little starstruck. Like I seen him fight Baroni on TV and I'm like, this guy, he's like a long Island legend. And I remember Masa was like, yo, why man, do jujitsu with him? I'm like, bro, I don't even know what I'm doing. He's like, bro, just, you start down, just, just get up. Like it's wrestling. Don't, don't try to do anything else. Like, cause otherwise I'll be trying to do all the chokes and shit. I see people do on TV and. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'll never forget. Like I started down in guard my first time ever. Drago jumps in my guard and I'm like, I'm trying to like do some of the regular moves. Like I see people do on TV and Masa, the wrestler is like, why well, just get up. I'm like, all right. So I just push you off. I fucking get right to my feet. All of a sudden he's wrapped around my knee. I'm a fucking, I'm in a knee bar. I've never felt anything like that before in my life. I felt safe. I'm looking at him on my knee because usually I, someone's on my leg. I'm super comfortable. And all of a sudden I felt my knee just like slowly going the way it should not be going. I'm like, fuck, he's about to tear my ACL. I'm like, ah, oh, tap. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this shit is crazy. And I, right in that moment, I kind of like, was like, this shit's crazy, but I also developed a respect for it. Like, wow, I could probably want to learn how to do this, but I still was super focused on the 2008 Olympics. Um, so I kind of like put that in the back of my mind and I moved on. But when I decided to do, when I kind of like started flirting with the idea of MMA, I knew I had to go to Matt Ray's gym. You know, I knew I was going to go to Ray's gym for striking if I was going to fight and I was going to do jujitsu. If I was going to do jujitsu, I'm going to go to Matt Sarah's gym. And so basically I, the first place I signed up to was Matt's gym. I went down there and that was his academy in East Meadow. I signed up. I got the gi. I went to my beginner classes and I told you I was going to just be that hardworking kid. I still didn't know if I was going to do MMA. I was just doing jujitsu. It was during the summer. Uh, so I was going to have one more year of training before 2008. That was, was 2007. Really? I did that th for three months and then I did my, the, the, that jujitsu tournament. Damn. And, and that's kind of when I was like, I'm doing this, but I got to wait till 2008 after my, after Olympic trials and stuff to figure out what I'm doing. And that's kind of the next year is when I started. That's crazy. Yeah. And then I went down once I got my wife on board and everything, I, uh, had to figure out a way to make money doing this because I was making money at, at, at college, making, I mean, at, at Hofstra university, being an assistant wrestling coach and get my master's degree. So I talked to Ray and he was, he saw enough in me just from me coaching and like me rolling around with some of the guys in the gym that he thought I could be super successful to the point where he gave me a job as a wrestling coach and he wasn't making money over there. Like he was basically just gifting me money. And, and was told and told me that he could probably get me monthly sponsorships already before I even had a fight because I told him I wouldn't be able to train. I was coming back from landscaping every day with, you know, cuts and everything like this. He's like, oh, yeah, you realize you could be a world champion one day. Like, what are you doing? You fucking landscape. And really, I'm like, hey, I got to fucking make money. And he, basically he got me to the point where I could, I was coaching there and training. And then six months later, I had my first pro fight. Awesome. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. People can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner, and that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com. 
And you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. That's like I'm trying to make it, you know, as short as possible. <laughs> no, it's perfect, man. I, I, I say I love those guys, man. I get really excited to come home. I'm always happy to see Ray. I always love seeing Matt. I mean, that guy, I tell, like, I go and I train all over the country and I still haven't really come across many gyms that, like, I'll go in at 8 a.m. and I'll be there until 4.30 p.m. Just, like, laughing, listening to Matt, just, like, shit talking. Oh, my God. And tell there's, nobody, there's nobody like him. And those two together... Just oh, it's yeah, you just sit back. You sit back and you just laugh. There's no <laughs> need to talk. I mean, just Matt alone. Like I, when I'm with Volante, like me and Volante, we go out, you know, with the life of the party, especially like, especially for just Volante on his own. He's always like that, but he brings out that side of me too. And like, you know, we're super, you know, crazy, loud, obnoxious kind of, but when we're with Matt, like you'll notice like Volante doesn't fucking say a word. I don't say a word. We just laugh hysterically the whole time because everything that comes out of his mouth is straight comedy. Uh, and yeah, you laugh like a little girl. Like I feel like almost <laughs> like a little groupie sometimes. Like I, I'm laughing at every joke this guy makes, but I really genuinely can't help myself but laugh. It's a, he's hysterical. Yeah, and, and in person too, like you can't capture that energy, but like when people meet him and you're around, like we went and we did his podcast that time and just watching him like just go back and forth and turn red and be all loud. Like me and Sean were just laughing, man. He's just, it's good people. It's always good to be oh, around those yeah. gyms. His, his energy. Yeah. His energy is unbelievable. You know, so, he's, he's always, he's always on. Leading in from that. One of the things that uh, I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the things I do on this podcast is I try and talk to people that get into businesses and different things. And I like that you were my, my story for that earlier was when I told people about how you went through that, and took those risks and then eventually fall for a title. I said, anything Chris does, he puts his mind to when he doesn't take shortcuts and, and he hits his goals. So if he ever wants to get into real estate, he's going to do just as good as that because of his work ethic and all those types of things. Because again, how you do anything is how you do everything. So I know you merged with Longo. You started taking over the, the gym and then like we'll, we'll segue into the real estate thing too. But what type of stuff did you notice? Was that the first business that you ran? And I also think it's really interesting that coming into that and running a business and doing that with your wife and having her be part of your everyday business is something that I've seen people so close together and appreciate each other and also be a terrible decision. And I've had a lot of partners over the years and I have one now and I'll probably never have another one because I've just seen, you know, people don't work on the same level. People don't do what they say they're going to do. And I really have gotten choosier over the years. And I found a good one and I'm hoping to keep her, but um, what are you finding? Cause I, I mean, I, I think she's awesome. I've talked to her a few times. I know she's she's very smart. She's got a good head. You guys always say really nice complimentary things about each other. But what were the things that you saw coming into business new? And then what's it like being in business with your wife? Uh, yeah. So once I, I me and Longo opened up a gym about seven years ago. Uh, I kind of partnered up with him. His it was kind of he he moved into a bigger spot. The rent was becoming a lot. He was focused on the fighters. I had just won the world championship or I was about to win the world championship. And, uh, I'm like, yo, I, we need better showers. Uh, you can't be worried about rent and shit like this. It could be done so much better. 
And oh, well, he had no showers. I was like, we need showers. That's the only thing I cared about, to be honest. I just wanted showers in the gym because my whole life as a wrestler, no matter where you were, what high school you were at, like you wrestled and you need to take a shower afterwards. And I was getting sick and tired of freaking just rolling around with dudes and then having to take like a, you know, anywhere, depending where I lived at the time, 15 to 30 minutes drive back home, just disgusting and wet. So I, we ended, I ended up taking over and handling the business. My wife really was a big part of it, uh, handling the business. And I was kind of just focused on the gym as things progressed over the last like seven years. Now my wife really doesn't have as much to do with the gym. I kind of took over the gym stuff. She's actually dealing with the real estate side of things. And obviously my kids and all their activities, which is a night, which is insane. <laughs> um, yeah. So my, my wife, I'm blessed. I mean, she's, she went to Hofstra, same college. She's from Baldwin, went to Hofstra with me and she's just super smart. You know, um, she got graduated with honors and she was one of three people that actually got a, a job. So she ended up getting a job at the number one accounting firm in the world as a CPA, as a accountant, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers. And they had some positions open in the city, uh, but they only had one position on Long Island. And she was the one person that got it out of like, I don't know how many applicants, but like hundreds and hundreds of applicants. Um, and so she worked there for two years. She got her CPA. Then she worked at a private company, uh, Kimco, a real estate company, um, auditing different, co- auditing, uh, I guess different businesses inside Kimco. And then, um, and then I started making a lot of money, you know, fighting. And so she didn't, I wanted her to stay home with the kids. And so she stopped doing that, stopped auditing and doing accounting. She went from being the, the, the breadwinner in the, in the house to now I was the breadwinner and she took a, she got to, you know, focus on being a mom. And then as time went on, we, there's like a lot of business thing opportunities that come with, you know, winning lots of fights. And, um, so she's helped me a lot. She's helped me with my career a lot. And uh, also all these businesses, the real estate thing, she jumped all over. Like she became infatuated with the real estate. Now we have, we have just right now we have two rental properties in Charlotte. They're going really well. And she's been managing that, but that was basically, you know, like what you said before, you can't, we wanted to do real estate. We talked about it for years, just never did it. And I know what do they say? Um, analyze, uh, analyze and power, paralyze and analyze. What the hell is that? Fucking paralysis by analysis. That's it, buddy. Paralysis <laughs> by analysis. Um, yeah. So I remember, I think it was, yeah. Talking to you, I, you know, I think talking to you, you're the one who said that to me, right? Yeah, I think I did actually. Yeah. And I did, and I did pay you respect. I think I remember t- calling you and just like, yo, you, that, you honestly is what, made it happen. I'm like, yeah, let's just do it. We got to fucking fire. I don't care if it's the wrong decision or not. Let's make a move. Um, because either way you're fucking going to learn from it, you know? And so, yeah, we just bought our first one and then bought a second one and we're going to start moving. We got uh, to be honest, we're fucking killing it in the stock market right now, bro. I'm up nice, 8.2%. So we're like, we're like, you know, riding the wave on that. And you know, you only have so much money. So it's like, you know, where do you want to invest it? And we could keep going with the real estate, but, um, and we are going to keep going with the real estate, but right now at this point, we're not like buying anything else. Probably next year or something, we'll buy something and continue. Well, I think it's cool that, uh, you know, I, and I don't know if it's got the same 
the same vision that everybody had in the past of like, oh, a UFC fighter or just a fighter in general has got to be like some meathead who doesn't do anything and he just, you know, throws women over his shoulder at clubs and brings them home. Whereas you're like a, like a good looking guy, like American family, your dad, by the way, shout out to your dad. Awesome dude. Um, you have Thank great you. parents, um, yeah. you know, three kids, you're a, a good father. You're you don't have like slummy stuff all over Instagram types of scandals. And then you're doing good business with your money and you're trying to like provide. And I think that that really paints a good picture of a, you know, a provider and somebody who's not out just, you know, blowing his money on everything and like getting his brains beat and you're, you're doing the right things. And I like what you said to me about why you started buying the houses. I think you said that three was initially what you wanted to do because you wanted to have one for yeah. each kid and them options yes. of stuff. So talk, talk yeah. about that. Cause I thought that that was really a, a brilliant way to look at it. Yeah. So uh, one of my, uh, you know, Armando Planco. Yeah, sure. Okay. So he does some real estate as well. And, and the reason why he got started was because of his kids and, he started talking to me about how the reason why he, the re, how he got his wife really to be on board with spending their money because I don't think he was killing it to spend their money on houses and, and real estate investments was that to do it for the kids, you know, like buy these houses, rent them out, mortgages will paid for, you know, you're growing an investment. And at the end of the day, when their kids turn, instead of getting their kids money for college and money for this and that, when they graduate college, um, give them a house, you know, give them a business decision to make, you know? And uh, so that's what he did. So he, he, he bought these houses and at the end of the day is I think three kids. And that's what I'm going to do too. Um, when they turn, when they turn 17 or 18, you give them a keys to the house. They could live in it. They could rent it out. They could, they could sell it. They could do whatever they want, but they have, instead of giving them a lump sum of cash, like just give them a business decision, give them a, a moment where they could learn from something. And, um, I think that's a better thing to do than just give your kids money as far as like teaching them something, um, and then, you know, they could parlay that house into fucking hundreds of houses, you know? So it's up to them. And obviously you're going to try to teach them and guide them in the right direction on making the right decisions. And hopefully they make the right one. Yeah, man. I think that that's awesome. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It only take a minute. I appreciate it. If you guys could take the time, it would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. Was there any conflict initially? Did one of you want to invest and the other one was scared or vice versa? Because that's one of the big things. Like when I have properties that I'm going to sell and one guy is in and then all of a sudden he ghosts or something. And I'm like, what happened, man? We were right here. We were about to do this deal. And then you just stop picking up the phone. And then it always comes up. My wife kind of freaked out. And, you know, she said she this or that if I spent it. So yeah. I think it's cool that you guys are on the same page with that because it really does make a huge difference. She, she's the type of person that really does her homework and like she works in numbers and she's, she's not going to just jump on something super quick because it, it smells good. Like me on the other side, on the other hand, like I could get roped in pretty easy. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I like, I get excited about things, I'm just going to fucking do it. Let's go. Uh, especially with my schedule, I'm super busy and to do all the homework and all the research and, and, and do all the math. I just don't really at this point have the passion and time to really do that. 
but she she won't make the, she she really like makes calculated decisions. So when she decided that she found whatever house she found and like after looking through fucking thousands of houses and doing running all these different reports when she decided that this was the house i'm like don't even ask me like let's go like do it uh buy as many houses as you want as long as you think it makes sense money wise based on your the reports that you're doing and we're not gonna have to be paying monthly out on the mortgages and as long as we fulfill like anything could go wrong you know it's of course but you expect that you and you you look at the risk and you calculate it and then you make a, you know, a fucking intelligent decision. And she's really good at that. And I just trust her. Um, so if it was me doing all that and I'm going to pull the trigger, taking a hundred K out of the fucking bank, because I think it's a good idea. She'd probably be the one on me. <laughs> like, yo, what, what do you think you're doing? No, no, we need that money for this and that. But when it's the other way around, I'm like, babe, do you think let's go. Yeah, I think her and I actually talked about that at Truck's wedding. She was like, you got to tell him to like, just make smarter decisions. He just wants to buy everything and do everything. And yeah, said, yeah. Man, I'll, 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 I'll just jump with two feet in. And, um, and that's not always the smartest thing. No, it's not. That's why I think yeah. I was telling you, I was like, slow down. Don't start buying everything. Like if the, yeah. everybody that I know that invests at a high level, they're always saying like, if they can do anything again, it would be to yourself a little bit more in the beginning because that's where you take some of those lumps and you know luckily you're in a place that you have some funds but like i see people jump in and they throw their last dollar into stuff and they do any type of diligence yeah. on it they don't run any type of numbers and i'm like how'd you do that man you see i wouldn't that, do that yeah if i was put in that position like i've been many times in my life where i really don't have that much money and let's say i got you know I fucking saved my ass up. I fucking got thirty thousand dollars and that's how much i would need on a down payment on a investment property I'm doing so much homework. It's going to fucking make my, it's going to make my fucking head spin. But because I have the luxury of being in a better spot right now, it's like, it's way easier just to be like, ah, this looks good. Let's do it. And that's a fucking problem too. Because <laughs> those little dead decisions fucking add up. And that's why it's good to have a wife who really is super anal when it comes to like decision-making and money because no, she's bro. I mean, there's not too many fighters that have fucking money in retirement. Like I, I have a lot of money in retirement when I'm older, I'm fucking set. And it's because of her. She just like, she's always calculating risk. And I'm kind of like on the other side of that. That's awesome. I, I, I like, I like risk. Well, taking risks is what got you where you are and she's making good decisions with yeah. it. And I she's been a big part of my, my, my career as well, as far as managing my risk, because I'm, I'm a fucking daredevil. <laughs> and and it's good to have someone that's uh, really thinking things through. Next, well, you year. need both. You know, I, I always say a, a good partnership needs a gas and a break because without one, nothing happens, and without the other one, it's you're crashing into a everything. So. Hundred, hundred fucking percent. And it's the same thing with my gym business. You know, you need to find a manager. You know, that really for me, um, because I'm the type of guy like, oh, I fucking see this, let's do it, and I don't understand why you, we we can't. Well, let's just fucking do it. And um, to have someone that really calculates and and, and sees all the different angles um, and their job is to do that. It's that's, I need that. That's great. So how do you find balance in your life? That's a big thing that I always ask everybody because between running a business, fighting, training, you know, you go six, eight weeks, you got to watch everything you eat and then you want to go off the rails for another one. And I'm sure you got homework time and then you got gym time and then you got media obligations and all types of stuff. How are you finding ways to balance your professional with your personal, with your work, with your play, with your family, with all the 
different stuff because you're, you're juggling a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so during training camp, it's pretty much, you know, my family takes a, you know, sacrifices a lot. You know, I, I'm usually with them at dinner, but sometimes I'm not. You know, that's kind of like usually the deal. I don't see them most of the days. Sometimes they come to the gym and they'll watch me train and stuff, but I'm super focused. I'm banged up. I'm tired. I'm sore. I need a nap. I, even though it actually hasn't happened in a while, even in my camps, but I don't, I can't even nap anymore. It's a fucking problem. But, um, I need to sleep in, you know, just things like that. Um, but out of, out of my camp, my schedule usually is, you know, I see the kids in the morning. Um, you know, I'm either taking them to school or, or my wife is, but I'm with them in the morning and then I'm out of the house at like, I'm out of the house when they're out of the house around 9am. I'm out of the house and I'm at the, I'm, I'm right to a gym. I'm working out. And then, then I handle gym business stuff until about like two thirty. Two thirty, I work out again. Uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I, I stay at the gym till six because my, my, my son comes actually on Mondays. My, my son gets brought to me from Marie and my daughter. They do kickboxing class and they do wrestling class. And then I bring them home. On, on, on Wednesdays, I go home like around three, three thirty. I go pick up my, my son to bring him back to wrestling, hitting all the rush hour sucks. <laughs> um, and then the other days, like I'm pretty much back home around like five o'clock, you know, and I'm, I'm with the kids. So it's kind of, Kind of how I do it on the weekends. My wife tells me what to do. I'm just at one family party or, you know, friends get together. I'm just, uh, she just kind of points me in a direction. I just follow. <laughs> I don't oh, know man. what's going on. Cool. Yeah. So the, I think when you, uh, when we originally were going to do this, it was right after you got back from doing the, the monster USO tour. And I think you just did oh, another wow. one recently. Yeah, yeah, you've been you've been ducking me for months. For months. Holy shit, bro! Don't act like you're fucking after me all the time. You know, you, you <laughs> yeah, I don't like to bother anybody. You're busy, trying, you're busy. I, I try and try and have a nice, happy, uh, happy medium pace. But um, yeah. yeah, I wanted to. It looked like you were doing tons of cool stuff to Italy. I think a oh. couple of weeks right after you were there, I went over there, and I know you mm -hmm. you've kind of been all over, and they they had you get attacked by that dog, and oh yeah, it was yeah. all kinds of stuff. So you know, I know. And Matt said it a few times too. People were like, oh, you know, I want to be able to go to the bar and have people for autographs and have girls want to go out with me and get like all this notoriety. He's like, and everybody wants all the benefits that come with being a fighter, but they forget that a few times a year, you have to get in a cage and fight a guy on TV in front of everybody. And most don't want to do that. They don't want to put the training in. And I see it all the time. I, I mean, how many people probably come up to you when you go out on Long Island? Oh, I'm going to come to your gym on Monday. And you like never, and they've been saying it for years. So yeah. because of those things though, it's gotten you to the point that you're able to do a lot of really cool things now. So, um, you know, I, I like to hear a little bit about your experience with that and just some of the things that you've experienced from, you know, the, the rewards you get from taking the sacrifices that you've taken. Yeah. Um, that's a loaded question. Yeah. I've, I've had some life, man. <laughs> I've had some life. I gotta be honest. I, I guess I had, I've had some life that people would love to have. Um, and it's been through a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of sacrifice, you know, 23 surgeries, lots of ups and downs. When some huge tournaments come back home, no one even cared. You know, like they're doing that gay thing with the singlet on, you know, that's that was <laughs> for a while. Um, 
And so to get the respect like I get now and to get to do the things that I get to do. And I never, I never even thought this was possible. I never even cared. I, I gave up on, I, I remember being in college and I was making like $13,000 a year at, at Hofstra as assistant coach. And my whole goal was just in my life. Like I got to the point where like, I didn't, I didn't need money. I didn't care about any of that. I didn't need fame. I didn't even, I didn't think that was ever going to be possible. Um, I just wanted to mail to like, if I'm happen to be with a bunch of friends and we're going to grab lunch, I just want to like not be embarrassed if I don't have enough money. You know what I mean? I just wanted to be able to eat lunch or a breakfast out sometimes. That was like all I would have wanted. That's all I could. So I just followed what I love to do and I love to compete. And it's amazing the rewards that came with it. And with that, I mean, I've traveled all around the world, bro. I've, and uh, yeah, one of those things, like recently, the USO tour, I went to Iraq, I went to Afghanistan, I went to different cities in these countries. I seen our soldiers on the fucking front lines, like you forget that we're still in a war, you know, and people are dying. And we're, you know, fighting for people's freedoms all, all around the world. And, you know. It was amazing to, to 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 show some love to those those the the, the service men and women out there, and uh, you know to put a smile on their face because these guys, I mean, you forget like they're only doing like maybe let's say the longest six month tours or maybe I don't know nine month tours, or whatever. Then they're back home, but in that time period, it's not like they're doing nine to fives. You know, everybody has different jobs. It's not like everybody's a soldier and going and waiting, ready to shoot somebody. Everyone has, there's all different types of jobs. You know, there's guys who are working on computers or surveillance on the base or whatever it is, but, um, you know, mechanics, whatever. But these guys literally like they are waking up at 4 a.m. They have to do their, they have to do, no matter who they are, they have to do their uh, physical training in the morning. They get that done. They start work at fucking 7 a.m. They don't stop work at 4 they don't stop, stop work at five. They, they have to go to 10, 11 o'clock at night. They get to bed. They have to be up at 4 a.m. again. Meanwhile, they're in a war zone. And they, like, there's missiles getting shot into the bases all the time. Most of the time, they're duds. But the fucking alarm's going off, and you got to hit the deck. And there's a good, like, you're, you're fucking worried that that could be your last day. And these guys just deserve so much respect. And... And uh, it's just, it was amazing. Like, you know, we went there and put on a show. It was me, BJ Penn, uh, Felice Herrick. We had a uh, country singer, uh, Craig Morgan, Makua Rothman, pro, uh, world champion surfer. We had a bunch of like, you know, guys who were accomplished in their given fields. And we got to like put on shows for them. And every place we went, they were, we were just like, they were just so happy to see us just to get a little relief and to feel like they're home again, to see like people they're familiar with. Uh, you know, talk to them. It just was, it was awesome to do it. Yeah. So we did the USO tour with monster energy. Thanks to monster energy. And we went to Italy. We went to Germany, uh, to the bases there. And then we, then we went to Iraq, Afghanistan and, and Qatar. I always thought it was Qatar, but actually <laughs> the right way to say it is Qatar. Just so you know, uh, we were supposed to go to Turkey, but there was an issue, uh, with like safety going down there and we were on military planes the whole time we were the four-star general uh some dangerous times i mean like even when we got when we left afghanistan three the, in the base that we were at three people died the next uh the, in that next week i think two were from new york uh so it was just like a really eye-opening that was probably the coolest trip i've ever had in my life just to really like go to the middle east in these war zones and just to see the reality of 
fucking our world and how we're living and how blessed we are to be, to be living in America every single day, not scared to live out our dreams, you know, and do what we want every day. I mean, it's fucking, it's, the world's not all perfect everywhere. You know, it's not everything, not, not everywhere is just like America, you know? And so you got to be grateful for where we are. That was very well said. Oh, well, thank you. That was good. No, but I mean, how cool is it that you get to to do the stuff like that? And, you know, you earn that. You earned every piece of that. The the meals, the stuff, the the early mornings, the sacrifice, the dieting, like the nerves, the the beating on your body, the surgeries, like everything that you're doing now that people are watching going, oh, it must be so nice to be Chris Wyman. It's like he put the work in that the other people yeah. wouldn't do. You know, yeah. people make excuses. Yeah. Like how many times did you go to the gym when you didn't want to? How many things did you do that you didn't want to? Things that you missed to get where you are. And now you're in a position that you get to show up on those bases and you make somebody's day. Like that's, that's yeah. a really cool thing to be able to do, man. I think I'm, I'm very thank proud you. of you for what you've done, man. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. It's like you hear all these excuses all the time. And I'm not trying to put anybody down because everybody's circumstance is different, but um you know, I didn't wrestle in college because I had a shoulder injury or I didn't, you know, play baseball in the pros because, you know, my elbow got messed up or I didn't, you know, whatever, like whatever. Or I didn't play in the NFL because I tore me my ACL. Like old, I have literally have had every type of injury since the beginning. I was told I should never wrestle again when I was a junior in high school because my neck, because I had these stingers in my neck and I was losing consciousness and I was actually like fainting from the pain. It was so bad. They told me I should never wrestle again. Like, I, I mean, I, if I had to tell you every time that I probably should have stopped doing anything I was doing, it was a long, long time ago, lots of times. And there was just no way I was stopping. I was, this is what I love to do. And there was just zero excuses. I had no time for any negative energy. None of that. Like uh, I'm done attitude. Um, yeah. And yeah, so sometimes like you know, I almost get like a little egotistical when I hear people tell me stories like that. I'm just like, really? Oh, you had a elbow surgery? <laughs> oh, that's why you stopped? <laughs> Bro, I've had three elbow surgeries. <laughs> if you want to do something, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Like you fucking just do it. Yeah. Look at you, bro. You're a fucking inspiration. You got your hand cut off. How long ago? Are you like? Are you, are you supposed to be punching things? You fucking got in fights. You fucking <laughs> train jujitsu against killers every single day. Do you have the fucking same tools as all them? No. Do you fucking, I don't know. Maybe you feel bad for yourself sometimes. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you do, it's fucking, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Everybody has something that they could start thinking about that they could be like, fuck, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. It's one thing I never fucking did, bro. I never wished I was somebody else. And there was a lot more explosive guys than me. There was a lot more fucking guys who were stronger or longer, or fucking shorter, or whatever. There was always something that you could look at and be like, oh, I, I if I just had that, I said, fuck that. No, I have everything I possibly need to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And that started from the beginning. I never want, and I always had those flirtations and like, you know, well, the, uh, that feel of like, looking at somebody else and wanting what they have. And I was just like, I always resisted that. I never wanted to be anybody else. And I didn't always have the best tools, but I fucking made it. I, I just fucking believed I did. <laughs> That's more than half the battle, man. And it's like, you just said, you literally flew around and saw a bunch of people that every day 
So people like you and I can have the luxury to be able to get up every day and go after our dreams. And if somebody's making an excuse not to do that, somebody else is literally putting their life on the line to give us that opportunity. So for somebody to get up and waste that, I think is disrespectful. You know, that's why every day it's like, you know, that's what it is. That's why I love uh, Aljo's shirt. It's what I do when no one's watching. Like all the shit people didn't see you do is exactly why they see you everywhere now, because you put that time and you earn that. So yeah. That same mentality will carry you to the next thing now. So in closing with that perfect segue is uh, what's what's next? What's on the horizon for Chris Weidman, man? Because, again, I feel like you can do whatever you want to do, man. And you're not going to let anybody tell you don't do this or don't do that. Like once you make a decision. And I I honestly believe that whatever it is you focus on, man, whether it's real estate, whether it's fighting, whether it's business, stocks, whatever, man, you'll find a way to be a black belt in whatever it is that you do. I I appreciate that, bro. uh, as far as fighting, I, d- I don't really know which weight class I'm going to go. I don't know who I'm going to fight. I'm thinking of probably around like March, April. I am towards the end of my career. I know that. I could say that now with confidence. I don't have years and years left. Um, not to make any excuses, but I've had a lot. Of, you know, I've been through a lot. You know, I've been through a lot of surgeries and everything like that. And uh, my body still feels good. Uh, but I, I'm 35 years old, which is actually not old for MMA. It's actually probably most a lot of the champions are in there mid to high thirties. So, but I just know I'm came to the realization that, yeah, no, I'm probably towards the end of my career. Um, and I do want to accomplish some, some big things and win some big fights before I'm done. Um, I don't know how many or against who, but I'm just going to keep doing the best I can every day and like train the best I can. And, um, stay motivated, stay healthy. And, uh, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Um, and as far as my other businesses and different things that go, go down, um, I'm dipping my finger into a bunch of different possibilities and we'll see what I fall in love, fall in love with once my MMA career is done. Cool. That's awesome, man. So are we going to see a rematch anytime soon between you and Brian Hagstrand? Bro, I'd love to get that. I got names that will boggle your mind because I know you're going to know most of them. I, I, I was jumped one time. This fucking bothered me. The worst, the worst fucking thing that probably ever happened to me. I got beat up a lot as a kid, but I remember getting jumped by like three or four dudes. And right at the end of me being jumped, I was curled up into a ball. This is in Plaza. This is a Plaza school in the fucking basketball courts. I got jumped. And um, I'm curled up in the ball. I'm getting kicked and shit in my head and all that, whatever. I'm covering. And as soon as it got done, I think it's over. Somebody comes behind me, grabs me from my hips and knees me in the fucking tailbone. And it was the worst feeling ever. Just I just felt like my manhood was fucking taken. I felt like a bitch. It hurts so bad. And I remember that. Do you remember? Do you remember a kid named Justin Bono? Yeah. <laughs> We, I would like to, I'd like to get a fucking rematch with that motherfucker. I want to make that happen. I want to make oh, it happen. Shit. That, that dude, that dude need me in my fucking tailbone and I'll never forget it. I think he moved. He probably moved. When I, he think he mo- I think he moved. Yeah. I haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, I'm telling you, like a lot of my brother's friends beat me up and stuff. And it gets a little awkward sometimes not, when I, not me. I yeah, you didn't record. do it. You, you said, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. There was a bunch of his friends that beat me up and I have seen some of them since like, you know, now they know I'm a fighter and they, they obviously know I could kick their ass. It's fucking a little awkward for them. <laughs> they don't know how I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know if I'm going to remember. 
and they don't know how I'm going to deal with it. Um, yeah. And I could feel the awkwardness with that. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't like have any revenge on anybody. I'm good. Nah, you're pretty, you're pretty, uh, you're pretty mellow overall. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. No, yeah. no, no, no. You've calmed down a lot since the, uh, the high school days. Yeah, well, I was never like Charlie, but I was <laughs> like Charlie. Charlie was one of those guys. Like, if you were just hanging out talking to him, you're like, oh, "You're fucking gay." Like, just kidding around with him, he'd be like, "What'd you say to me? You just fucking call me gay?" And then he's like, "Gonna try to fucking kill you." I would. I had a piece of that in me, of where like if you disrespect me in any possible way, we're fucking like it's I'm, like I'm, I'm like I'm com- kind of like a confused dog. Like, are we fighting? Do you want to fucking fight? Because you just disrespected me, but um. I, I was never like as bad as him. Well, thankfully, Charlie never took that wrath out on me. I was just with him a few times when he did on other people. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. My dog. I think he always liked you. He was very loyal to his friends. You know what I mean? He was a very loyal. No, dude, your your whole family's like that. Your family's always been good to me. Your dad was my baseball coach for a while. I always played sports with your brother. You know, you were always nice. I always a big fan of the Wyvins, man. You guys have always been really good to me. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we're always a big fan of Lamanius. Great oh, people. All the way up in North Boland, right around the block from my cousins. <laughs> and, oh, that's right, the Sorensons. Uh, the Sorensons, yeah. Those goody two-shoes up there. Uh, <laughs> they were just, like, better than us and everything. My cousins, they were better athletes, better in school. Uh, yeah. Good I think John Nolan's dad was saying he was going to try and come down and train jiu-jitsu with you a few times. I would run into him a lot in Freeport from time to Wait, time. Wait, who? Who? John Nolan's dad. John? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Really? I think they were like somehow yeah. related to the Sorensons, so they're like a separation from the Weidmans and or something. I don't know in there, but yeah, who knows? But in closing, any uh, what any final messages? Anything you'd like people to know? Anything you want to say? How do people um, find you? You go to <laughs> you go to Chris Weidman on Instagram is W E I D M A N Chris C H R I S W E I D M A N. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter through that, and then um, Facebook. I think is the same thing. But yeah, that's it, man. Um, if you're on Long Island, if you're a Long Island Long Island guy, come down to the gym, Law MMA. Uh, you go to the website, LawMMA.com, and other than that, man. That's it. I hope anybody who's listening enjoyed, and uh, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, I'm, 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 and listen, as a Baldwin kid to another Baldwin kid, I am very happy with your success, your work ethic, your your mental and intestinal fortitude towards the real estate business, the, the traveling you do, and the shit you probably have, have had to deal with throughout your career. Uh, without getting much respect, you know, from anybody because nobody fucking knows. I respect you and I appreciate you, bro. And uh, and look, you doing podcasts on the side, fucking. So keep killing it. And uh, I'm a fan of yours as well. Hey, thanks very much, man. Sorry, and whatever you fucking, do, yeah. Always support Chris Weidman, man, for sure. Thank I uh, you. I appreciate you always giving me the time. I appreciate you always training me with when I'm home. Tell the family I said hello. You have a great day, and uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks when I get to New York. My man, I appreciate it, buddy. Take it easy, brother. Take care.